everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my co-host for today is, uh, I'm going to call him a legend of Ott's Horror because he directed one of the great horror movies of the 2000s in The Ruins. Uh, watch it again if you haven't watched it recently and find it for the first time if you haven't. Also, lately, you can watch his film Swallowed. And now, coming up now, you can watch his film The Passenger, starring all-time hunk, all-time great actor <laughs> Kyle Gallner. Uh Carter Smith, what do the people need to know about you before we get going? Besides that introduction, oh, that's a good introduction. I mean, do they what, do they need to know? They probably don't need to I mean, know. I mean, they should know that you directed but... Into the Dark's Midnight Kiss episode as Midnight well. Midnight Kiss, yes, yeah. Um, I had a not so secret prior career as a fashion photographer. Yes, before I ever made a film, mm-hmm. which is like horror people often don't know that and you know the fashion people have no idea that i'm off (laughs) making horror movies so it's like this weird double life that i have lived (laughs) i was gonna say how is it having a double life then like what are the pros and cons of having a double life a peter parker and a spider-man there's no crossover it was so strange like i would come back from like the ruins you know or what like a shoot and be like go back to shooting stills and like nobody (laughs) even no one had questions I mean, my friends, you know, the people that I work with all the time, you know, of course they were interested, but like, you know, in general, yeah. um, it was kind of amazing to me that it was like so completely separate. I mean, it is it is such an intersection of my interests and my joy that like the director who made The Ruins has also shot Carly Kloss. Like that yeah. is such a <laughs> weaving together of, I have a custom tank top that I made that just says Carly Kloss in gold letters because nice. she's our greatest American fashion expert of the 21st century, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I am very excited about the the dual identities that you have. Yeah, yeah, and Carly Kloss is great, by the way. She seems like she's great, I, and I'm so happy I just, to hear that. I just posted a picture of her. I did this shoot with her where she played a superhero, and I had her like full eyes of Laura Mars style, oh. like burning, burning cars, like robots, <laughs> like you know, lifting up, you know, crap. It was amazing. It was so much fun. Oh my god, are you the man to finally then bring back fashion into horror in a way that like like eyes of Laura Mars? Um, God, um, I'm forgetting that there's so few, there's so few that are, that are chic as chic as that. That's the thing. There's, there's no, I mean, you know what else is super chic is the brood. Have you seen the the fashion yes. and the clothing and the sets of the brood? Like, oh, absolutely. Same chicness. Yeah. The, the the our you know our our heroine our anti heroine our our shrieking banshee of of the brood. She's I, she has to be a gay icon for the way she wears that like draping white frock. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, Carter, you again, the passenger is your movie that you have coming out. It is an MGM yep. plus Blumhouse production. Uh, that is what succeeded the Epics Blumhouse production deal. So that's that pipeline that is right. coming through, and that is a movie about two men working in a fast food restaurant together. One of them, in the form of Kyle Gallner, goes ballistic in in the old parlance of I guess being a millennial, goes postal and yeah. starts killing people. And then it ends up as this, like, strange kind of road trip, dark horror drama at points comedy. Like, the laughter that yeah. Kyle Gallner can conjure out of a gallows humor moment is very impressive. So I guess my my two questions that I would have about The Passenger specifically are, one, what is it like to work with one of our greatest uh, living actors, Kyle Gallner? And mm-hmm. two, uh, tell me about... 
what draws you to movies that delve deep into the relationships of men? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, Kyle is like a dream. Like he's, you know, I, I mean, I was a fan before The Passenger Absolutely. for sure. But like, I wasn't like the fan that like I had seen all everything that he ever did on TV. Mm-hmm. And like, I like I didn't even know a lot of that about a lot of that stuff. I was just a fan of like what I, I had seen mm-hmm. of him. And, you know, he just has this ability to in a millisecond flash between you know charming leading man and like crazy psychopath like you know killer he has i was i really put my finger on it when i was thinking about it for me personally he is an heir to like the james spader effect where how could someone be so sexy when they are they are even as much when they are repulsive how can they be so alluring when they are horrifying as they yeah. are when they are charming and when yeah. they are they're meant to be your hero and Kyle Gallner has that duality in him it's he's yeah. unbelievable well and the character that he plays in this Benson is like i when i read the script for the first time it was one of the things that that really like about halfway through it kind of landed for me like oh i'm like i'm rooting for Benson mm. and like that's really not the expected per like he's awful he's done horrible things yeah. and like why am i like rooting so hard for him to like be okay and mm-hmm. for him to like get what he needs and like i <laughs> i kind of you know it was like this odd instinct that i had and it was one of the things that that was the most exciting about the script for me was like uh, you know exploring that mm-hmm. and exploring like you said this weird messed up relationship at the core like the idea that he could bring so much to the table and help Randy Mm -hmm. so much in this weird way that like should not be happening, but it is happening. And like, you (laughs) kind of have to just kind of surrender, like, like, like Randy, you kind of have to surrender to it and go along for the ride. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, like in terms of like male relationships Mm -hmm. or like, you know, friendships or, you know, whatever, whatever is at the heart of that. I mean, I, I just, am always drawn to, complicated relationships mm-hmm. i feel like re- relationships are complicated and you know the 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 le- the more swallowed uh, is very much a complicated relationship between yeah. two men and and what each other each of them is willing to do uh you know in in the bonds of having of this of this heated kind of friendship between like you know love and lust and friendship and covetous covetousness and like all those the things that are really the unifying queer experience yeah i did swallowed and then i was in post on swallowed i was finishing up the the edit when uh the passenger came along and like i never probably would have sought out like a two-hander mm-hmm. two guys you know together type like something so similar in terms of how it's you know the characters that it's focusing on mm-hmm. but like i said i just I, I you know i fell in love with randy and benson and you know it's 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 different enough it's a completely different you know type of film um but it is you know sort of equally claustrophobic mm-hmm. and you know the idea that they're trapped together in this car and it checked all the boxes of like what I want to spend like a year or more of my life. <laughs> that is on. such a that is such a specific consideration of this yeah. industry. It's like, oh, I'm gonna embark upon this project. This is how I want to spend the next one to three years of my life if it goes yeah. in a timely fashion. Yeah, because it could be six years, it could be yep. seven years, it could be you know I spent I, I probably spent seven years on Jamie Marks is dead, like which is you know like it's just too long to to <laughs> to struggle with with you know telling one story. Yeah, I, I had Brandon Cronenberg on for an episode. And he talked about like it was seven years to get Possessor made. Yeah, 
And yeah. that's like, you know, that's 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 a long term relationship when you're just like, yeah, so is. we're making a movie, guys, like that's going to define a decade of my yeah. life. Yeah. Sad, but true. And so speaking of like the relationships between men, the character that you have brought for us to discuss today, famous, yeah. w- one of the most famous men in all of horror, Jesse Walsh yeah. from Nightmare on Elm Street to Freddy's Revenge. Yeah. Someone is coming back to Elm Street. He is not friendly. He is not patient. Kill for me. But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block. It started to happen again. Dad! I'm in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? Help! Daddy can't help you now. There's something inside him. He is... Like he was so many things to me in so many ways when yeah. I saw that film for the first time. Like I was a horror kid. I loved all of the, like anything that I could get my hands on every like trashy mm-hmm. video ever, you know, and I grew up in a small town in Maine and we had one video store. So I was like super limited into, mm-hmm. you know, what I was exposed to. And there was something about, and I was too young to understand what it was Mm -hmm. when I was watching it, but there was just something in Jesse Walsh Mm -hmm. that I was like, Oh, like I like, I wanted to be him. I wanted to be his friend. I wanted to like, I wanted to like dare to wear that shirt that he was wearing to my high school. (laughs) Like I wanted, you know, I wanted that best friend that, you know, like, everything about him like i felt like you know for the first time i was seeing someone that had something in common with me Mm -hmm. in the horror movies that i loved Mm -hmm. um and just which just had never happened before and it wasn't that he was you know there was nothing you know overtly I mean, of course, now with hindsight, it sure. seems, of course, obviously, yeah, with hindsight queer, the and a whole documentary thing. about it and everything. Yeah, but like at the time, it was more just like this unspecified feeling of like I have something in common with him, and I don't know what it is, yeah. and it I don't even know if it has to do with sex or sexuality. Yeah, but like you know, it was just a a, a moment when I was like, okay, maybe maybe I can find people that in movies mm-hmm. that I like that I can somehow relate to and see myself in. And how old were you when you watched it for the first time? I mean, I was probably like 14. Oh, perfect. Perfect like, age. Yeah. Perfect age. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe a little young, but like, yes, <laughs> it, it was, it was, per- it, it was perfect. Yeah. As someone I mean, who had was- very few bumpers on when they could watch, um, very harrowing movies in their life. Uh, I 14, I'm like, Oh, we're veterans at this point. Yeah. But I mean, I was old enough to know that we had something in common, but not quite old enough maybe to understand what it was. Fully. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have to work out on my own. Yes, I know, but something's bothering you. Mom, I'm just very concerned about you. Jesse! I'm fine. Can't... Just leave me alone. Can't we at least talk about it? No. He needs professional help. I, th- I think we have to take him to see a psychiatrist. Oh, come on, Cheryl. You're out of your guard. What the hell will that do? I don't know. I just feel he needs help, and we don't know how to give it to him. Oh, come on, Cheryl. Are you hearing me? That boy's in trouble. No, he's not in trouble. What that boy needs is a good goddamn kick in the butt. That's what he needs. A thing I wanted to bring up with this was 
like, I didn't expect to come upon the, this line of questioning, but then I remembered, I once heard the uh, Columbia professor, Jack Halberstam, who is a person of queer experience, who's a, who's a trans man, Jack Halberstam, talk about um, the Hayes Code, obviously the production code coming down in the 1967. And his point of view was that that was damaging for queer uh, cinema that that wasn't mm-hmm. that was not exactly a positive development for queer presence in cinema because he's like it all became so obvious after that he's like you have yeah. to be so much more creative and interesting in the production code and so much more challenging and like dare people to search for the truth and then yeah. when it was all in front of the screen he found himself like he he found himself more bored with the offerings because it was just presented to you on a plate so I wanted to talk to you about balancing subtext and text in your work in in, in work mm-hmm. that does you know it has if, multiple times now with swallowed midnight's kiss and the passenger it centers on these sort of male bonding like rituals or processes and relating mm-hmm. to one another connections between men gay or straight and then yeah. I, I remembered i i read in an uh article an interview that you gave fairly recently you talked about in making the passenger, I think the the screenwriter was like, "There's no gay anything here." But then yeah. you went and talked to your actors, and we were like, "Yeah, it's like there's like a lot of gay." <laughs> yeah, it was like it was one of the things like in when we were prepping the script to go into production, you know, you know, Blumhouse actually there was you know, a couple people there that were like, you know, what do you want to like? Do you want to maybe dig into this and like mm-hmm. talk, should we talk to Jack and see what you know, see what he says? And so we did, and he was like, "No, there's no gay subtext there." Right? Sure. And okay. It, I, like I was like, okay, well. Okay, but yeah. I can take that and I'm going to run with it. And, you know, and then talking to Kyle and it was kind of like, no, of course, of course, there's something to, to explore yeah. here. And it's that, you know, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's definitely not, I mean, it's on the surface, I guess, you know, for some people, people will, will pick up on, mm-hmm. on it, but it, but it is, it's, you know, it's not necessarily central to the story, but it is, I think, part of what has made him who he is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, whatever his, his past is. Mm-hmm. And we didn't feel like it was necessary to explain it, yeah. but like it was fun to, to kind of look for places where Benson could sort of express his, his maybe need for intimate moments, mm-hmm. like friendship. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then, like there's, there's these wonderful moments when he like touches Randy's neck mm-hmm. or like kind of breaks the, the the wall mm-hmm. around you know the what their situation should be mm-hmm. um and it becomes kind of intimate and uncomfortable and and strange in really interesting ways mm-hmm. and as somebody who like you know watching Friday's Revenge when you're 14 and you're feeling you're feeling connected to Jesse in a lot of ways and including some ways imperceptible to you at the time but that are just kind of pulling you they're like I'm not sure of why all the feelings that I have are present right now, but I know there's a lot here and I'm just going to, I'm just going to ruminate with that. I'm going to marinate in that. But then as somebody who would, you know, as a film enjoyer and then somebody who would go on to be making films of their own, what, like, what is your sort of point of view or your relationship with like embedding things into a film, knowing that once it leaves your hands, it's going to be, it's going to belong entirely to the audience and they're going to do with it what they will. Like, what is a kind of like, do you have, what is your, do you, how do you play with subtext? And what is sort of like a way that you can like sew things into the fabric um, for your own personal delight or to enrich the story for like people who might go looking for those sorts of things? Yeah. I mean, I th- you know, I think that some of it probably happens without even, sure. you know, without realizing, without, without thinking about it. Um, you know, I, I always become pretty obsessed with 
the wardrobe, the you know, the books that are on the bookshelf, yeah. the 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 sort of the staging of I mean, you know, the, the the sort of blocking and and whether characters are separated by a doorway or they're together yeah. on the you know stuff like that. Um, but I think that a lot of it is just coming from a place of like it happening naturally and then sort of recognize in the moment on set recognizing that I'm responding to something or something is working really well. Mm -hmm. And then sort of after the fact realizing, Oh, that I, now I understand why I wanted to stage this whole scene with someone standing in the closet doorway or you know, like <laughs> sure, whatever, sure. whatever it is. But like, you know, a lot of the times it's just, it's not, um, it's not as obvious as, as mm -hmm. I might like to think. Mm -hmm. I feel like the, like, it's really just is one of the most fascinating things about Freddy's revenge to me, the sort of, the evolution of its creator's willingness to speak about the breadth of interpretation of yeah. Jesse and this movie. Because it's really like there was a, a years and years there where there was a sort of refusal to acknowledge that like this is a very gay, very homoerotic movie. And Mark Patton essentially leaving the industry yeah. after it came out and in the process of making it, feeling an increasing sense of anxiety as he's seeing the dailies. And he's like, this is unmistakably homosexual. And like, yeah. I'm going to be outed. Like, I'm going to be very exposed making this movie. And then like at the beginning, you have the director and screenwriter being like, nope, I don't know her. And then over time, time finally coming yeah. to a place of I think the director acknowledging like there absolutely was subtext there but I did not see it at the time and the writer even saying like overtly I wrote this movie as like a response to gay panic and a commentary on the AIDS crisis and it's like wow yeah. that is a yeah. wild move and that's like, a I, big difference from like I didn't know what I was doing or I, I wasn't aware of it at the time yeah um, yeah and, there, and there's something like actors are also like they're so like putting yourselves in the hands of a director and uh -huh. of of and and sort of in allowing yourself to be the clay that we work with to yeah. tell stories like you have to have so much trust and you have to really believe that the people telling this story are you know wanting to tell the same story that that you're wanting to tell and i think mm -hmm. that that's one of the things that i found so heartbreaking about you know the Freddy's Revenge mm -hmm. is like, you know, I, I think that, you know, Mark probably didn't, you know, think that he was taking part in this story that was like an AIDS allegory or, you know, gay pen, like none yeah. of that was super clear, I think, to him, but he kind of gave himself over to them to do with what they wanted and kind of ended up getting, you know, the short end of the stick. <laughs> Well, and I think a thing that I don't feel like comes up as much when I, you know, because it's a movie that it's probably, it's got to be one of the most relitigated, at least at the very yeah. least of the slasher movies that has that has ever come out. Um, yeah. Freddy's Revenge. Watching, anytime I go back to it, I always remember like, you know, what we don't really bring up is that Mark Patton did a great job in this movie. Yeah. Like that yeah. Mark Patton actually gives a great performance in this. And I, I was, it really stuck with me. It really hit me again this time watching it seeing in like the scene where he goes to Grady's bedroom and like jumps on him and covers his mouth to keep him from screaming. And he's like explaining, he's like, there's someone who wants to hurt me. And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You scared the shit out of me, man. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, what the fuck you doing in my room? Listen, I'm in trouble. I need you to let me stay here tonight. Are you out of your mind? I don't know. Oh, man. Why don't you just go home and take a bottle of sleeping pills? 
I killed Snyder. You what? Only it wasn't me, see? There's something inside of me. And last night it made me go to my sister's room. And tonight with Lisa on the cabana, it started to happen again. I think you are seriously losing it, bro. I'm scared, Grady. Something is trying to get inside my body. Yeah, and she's female and she's waiting for you in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me. Look, I don't care if you believe me or not. Hey, I believe you. You've had some scary dreams, okay? No. I don't. No. I was like, damn, this is He's a good, good dramatic scene? I know, I know. Right now. I know. Like, he, he was in it 100,000% and yeah. gave, you know, and, and that is, you know, I... I love it when when actors are willing to like jump off the cliff like that. You know, with your with your two careers as as a fashion photographer and a and a director, do you find does one medium elicit different things from your gaze than the other? Like you're, you know, obviously there's a whole, like the mise-en-scene in a film, like you're telling a story with everyone, but you're doing the same thing in fashion too, but you're not, you know, you need to do it still life. And it's, you know, characters aren't going to be interacting, like pulling out books and reading them aloud to you to let you know what they're thinking kind of thing. Like, how do you find each of those mediums teases out your creativity differently as a, as somebody trying to tell a story through an image moving or Yeah. Well, I mean, it's in a lot of ways, it, it was, you know, incredibly helpful to spend so long taking still photos before I ever made a film because mm. like my still work, like I'd love to try to tell a story with mm-hmm. it. And, and, you know, well, fat and fashion is so much narrative. Yeah, exactly. And, and I was like coming up with complex you know, long form stories. Like I did a, a shoot, you know, that was about a a young American GI that was stationed in Shanghai who met a singer at the Beijing opera and they wow. fell in love and she took him back to her village where she grew like, you know, and it was like a 35 page story yeah. in, you know, W magazine. And so like, wow. Really, oh like God. very, very cinematic stuff. And, you know, but with each image, you have one frame to tell whatever. Yep that moment is and and so i got really uh well versed in sort of considering every single thing that's in that frame you know that feels like that feels like being a writer and then taking the job of an editor and then having a a bigger like a more 360 understanding of like the copy that you're gonna turn in like what is my editor gonna need from this story to make it as best as it can be for print yeah because it's a different you know it's a different skill set and and i just got i mean i got really uh used to understanding or trying or thinking that i understood like how a hairstyle yeah you know what that says and what the color of a shirt says and what the if there's sweat stains or where the light is or is the door open or closed in the mm-hmm. back of the frame like all that stuff became stuff that i would obsess about mm-hmm. and you know of course when you're making a film and you have you know you can do it in more than one frame. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm still focusing on all that stuff. So hopefully I'm starting from a place where I've already taken baby steps towards telling that story. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, like I'm already, you know, trying to do as much as I can visually before there's any spoken dialogue or mm-hmm. before there's any action or before there's, you know, any, any of that stuff happens. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, photography 
fashion photography especially mm-hmm. like you're selling you're in advertising yeah for, completely yeah you're you're selling clothes or you're selling makeup or you're selling perfume or you're sell, you know so you're very much you know you can do all you want and pretend that it's as as you know artistic and creative as mm-hmm. as you want but at the end of the day like you know you're selling a product mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which i mean i guess you are in film as well but it's a little less on the nose maybe it has that feeling fluctuated become greater or less than over time like the ruins is happening back in the 2000s now we're in 2023 has that relationship between film and product has that changed at all over the years in how you've experienced it as a filmmaker like do you feel like you've been pushed more toward a product thing as like you know ip and like you know social media such like that like i I don't know is that like a, a pressure that you feel more so or less than or neutral over the years i think that i maybe felt it more up until I made Swallowed. Oh, okay. Swallowed, like Swallowed was kind of this like, uh, you know, I had never, I mean, The Ruins was my first film. Mm-hmm. And so like I came Coming out, out throwing made, haymakers, damn it. And it was like a, you know, it was DreamWorks. It was, it was like a, you know, it was released on thousands of screens. Yeah. And it was like a, you know, a full on movie, which is not ever what I thought would sort of be my first feature like i always kind of imagined it would be some weird dark little indie <laughs> yeah and, you know like swallowed and so i kind of you know after years of developing stuff and for one reason or another stuff falling apart yeah. or not getting made or i kind of was like okay I, I i have to take back control in a way that that i felt like i'd sort of lost mm-hmm. in in allowing other people saying yes or whether it's financiers or yeah. studios like whoever to sort of give me permission to to tell whatever story it is i was trying to tell and I, so i wrote it very much with the intent like okay like it's going to be great if we can find someone to finance this but like this is also a film that we can go out and make in the woods for <laughs> you know no money with mm-hmm. eight eight people and kind of do it all ourselves and that's mm-hmm. that's what we ended up doing and i think that that like knowing how to do that mm-hmm. which i i mean i'd never done that before i wasn't i wasn't a kid that was making like home movies and stuff <laughs> yeah. when i was when i was little like knowing that it's possible was really empowering That's and really amazing. like not it sort of freed me from thinking like okay well you know i have to work on a project that has is going to be able to open in this many theaters or i have to deal with something that has ip attached to it. Yeah. like no i can i can that's all that stuff is great and sure i'll i will you know entertain any of it especially if it's if it's super interesting but like if not then i can go and make another movie in the woods with a couple friends and in this day and age like i can actually have it find its audience hopefully yeah yeah we're going to take a quick break we'll be back shortly with more from carter smith including how he brought things full circle when he cast mark Patton in his 2022 film swallowed Then at the end, you'll have one quick thing before I go about Taylor Swift. It's not movie news, but it is news about me and my love and passion as a Swifty who's going to the Eras Tour. So stick around. Hi, everyone. I'm Laura House. 
And I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and sometimes it feels like the whole world is a dumpster fire. Right? There's too much to worry about. That's why we make Tiny Victories. It's a 15-minute podcast where we celebrate our minor accomplishments and fleeting joys. And listeners call in, like Valerie, who found the perfect gift for her daughter's boyfriend, and Adam, who finally turned his couch cushion the right way. And little happinesses, like how birdsong helps your brain. That's science. So join us in not freaking out for 15 minutes a week. That's Tiny Victories with Annabelle and Laura, Mondays on Maximum Fun. It's a tiny victory just to make a network promo. Honestly. Are you tired of being picked on for only wanting to talk about your cat at parties? Do you feel as though your friends don't understand the depth of love you have for your guinea pig? around a room of people do you wonder if they know sloths only have to eat one leaf a month have you ever dumped someone for saying they're just not an animal person us too she's alexis b preston she's ella mcleod and we host comfort creatures the show where you can't talk about your pets too much animal trivia is our love language and dragons are just as real as dinosaurs tune into comfort creatures every thursday on maximum fun back to Feeling Scene. Today I'm talking with director Carter Smith about Jesse Walsh, the character played by Mark Patton in Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, which you might have heard referred to as the gay one in the Freddy franchise. We're talking with Carter because his latest film is coming out. It is called The Passenger and it stars Kyle Gallner. Now, let's jump back into our conversation. When did you start realizing that you wanted to create characters of your own or imbue life into characters that would go out and perhaps reach people the way that a Jesse Walsh reached you. Yeah. I mean, I was always creating characters. Mm. I was always like, even in high school, like that's how I started in photography. Like I would, I would come up with these elaborate scenarios and like I would make an outfit, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would do the hair and makeup and I would you know, make sets and we would go to the railroad tracks. And like, it was, you know, it was very much like a weird little, like making stories on my own. Yeah. Um, And, you know, funnily enough, like the, the, one of the first uh, scripts that I had ever developed was a script that I wrote with Dennis Cooper, Mm -hmm. who is like a, you know, kind of notorious, infamous, like queer author Mm -hmm. who I'd been a huge fan of. And we worked on a project together. And when it came time to make my first film, like I, was a little bit like, oh, I don't know if I want to be a gay filmmaker. Yeah. And 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 I had this like I had this like weird hesitation mm-hmm. to it because like the project that we worked on was super gay. Yeah. And I had this weird hesitation. And I I, you know, I don't I don't know what it came from necessarily, but I I felt like being put in a box was was something that I was so used to mm-hmm, growing mm-hmm. up in a small town. And I just kind of wanted to not live there. Yeah. You know, for all of eternity. Yeah. Um, and it didn't seem like there was as much opportunity to like switch boxes. Yeah. Um, and people you know, loved people loved to bring work to to writers and directors because it's the same thing they've done over and over again. Over and like, and hey, you're good over. at this thing. You want to do this thing again and again? Yeah. Great. We'll hire you for it. Yeah. You're like, okay. Well, I need to eat, so I guess I'm doing that again. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 you know, with swallowed also like because I wrote it and it was something that like. I never intended to to really run through like a a more um, conventional sort of 
system. Yeah. Like I wasn't going to look for finance. So I was just kind of like, I'm going to write exactly the movie that I want to see. And then exactly the movie that, that I wanted to see when I was flipping through tapes at the, at the video store Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I never found and Mm -hmm. like Swallow was not the first script that I wrote like that. I wrote probably three or four before that, but they were all like either a little too big or a little too expensive or a little too complicated. And, you know, that sort of kept them from getting made. Mm-hmm. Going from like first film being in the, I think is, is the ruins 2007 or 2008? I think it's eight. I think it's eight. I think 2008. Yeah. And then going to obviously like the, the available and broader penetrating language that we have around identity now, diff, much different than it was in the two thousands, a very oh, binary yeah. era, a very sort of homo nationalist era. But what we have now is this like, growing and growing and growing panoply of of options and vernacular choices to like really specifically identify ourselves in the world and like you know not wanting to start being like a gay filmmaker and exist in that box of a gay filmmaker do you find that your desire for or lack of desire for an identification as a filmmaker is that still the case or with with language becoming more broad and more flexible does that allow for more room for you to be like no like being a gay filmmaker now can mean more so i don't mind being I a mean, gay I, filmmaker I, I feel like i've landed on this idea of like being a queer horror filmmaker or g- making gay horror movies like that sounds I'm, great i'm yeah that sounds great to me and i spent a lot of time avoiding it and sort mm. of like thinking about it in 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 a lot of different ways but like at this point, I'm kind of like, I want to make the movies that I want to see. And yeah. I, I love, I'm a huge horror fan. I, you know, I have seen too many horror movies with no one that I could relate to <laughs> yeah. in them. And, you know, stories that, that you know, their stories that meant nothing to me. And I think that, you know, there's something so powerful about seeing yourself Mm -hmm. in these movies and it's not you know there's of course the the sort of tender coming out stories or the angsty like estrangement stories and and i think that like there's so much more to the gay experience than that and i think that you know i'm all for like longing glances across <laughs> yeah. a, like an Austrian, you know, locker room during <laughs> swim practice. Like yeah. I've seen that movie and I've, I'm there for it. Yeah. But like, I, I, I also want, you know, dark, dirty, like, you know, violent, you know, scary movies that are just so happening to be, you know, unfolding around queer characters. I, I think a, a standout element of the ruins is it's, it's, act, it's truly one of the most savage films of that era and yeah. you you watch like people cutting into e- themselves to pull out like invasive um like carnivorous plants kind of situation. Yeah. It was I watched that now I'm like Saw didn't have the fucking guts that this movie did. And then like I'm watching the passenger. There's a scene where someone is killed and the body is moved after that person is killed, and the way organs and blood slosh yeah. off of where that character had been laying and just plop on the floor. I was like, oh oh my god. Yeah, we are that, in the that, first ten minutes of this movie right now. Yes, and it that was gave amazing. Me such a perverse sense of glee with it, like that that we captured that, and that like because I, I don't think we expected it to happen like that, but it did, and I <laughs> was like, oh my god, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a real like oh no, oh, and and just with oh yeah, no, it's it's a phenomenal. It's a it's a it plays phenomenally well. Um, Good to take it back to you know because we'll, we'll always be taking it back to the film. I'm wondering yes. if, you know, watching <laughs> Jesse, watching Jesse Walsh in, in Freddy's Revenge, w- when you like 
realize that you are relating to this character with that, had you previously experienced a sense of any kind of like alienation or absence from the fact that you hadn't really found a person who fit you the way that Jesse did? Or oh, was yeah. that not something you really dwelled upon until you saw this character and you're just like, that's my guy? Well, I, I, it wasn't anything that I thought about probably yeah. before that. It yeah. was like, I was happy to like, you know, to watch the, you know, whatever creative kill that was happening. Yeah. So like, although it was, I was always sort of content with all of these other, you know, with, you know, the cool monster or the cool death scene, like yeah. all of that seemed to be enough for me. And it wasn't until I saw Nightmare 2 mm. that I was like, oh, like that was, you know, the first time when I felt like, oh, maybe that I should be like hoping for more. <laughs> like maybe I should set my expectations a little higher yeah. than, you know, just a cool kill or like seeing a glimpse of like a girl's titties in the shower. Yeah. Like, that, you know, felt like what I should be excited about, but like it wasn't, um, you know, it was enough up until that point. And then after that, it was, it was sort of before Nightmare 2 and after yeah. Nightmare 2. Yeah. That's such a, I think that that gets so, that gets so acutely at something that just interests me so much about like why the conceit of the show is what it is because like it raises like the possibility models that we can see have yeah. the impact of not just making us feel like somebody out there is us, but that it gives us permission to demand that we yeah. exist in other places. And that is yeah. one of the biggest things we can realize about ourselves is that the points in our lives that we realize we can demand our worth or our value. Yeah. And to, and to see ourselves in a way that, that we want to see ourselves and not in a way that, that someone else thinks that we we should be seen. That is, it's like a it's like a bittersweet kind of thing because it's like, oh my gosh, like I've I've raised the bar on what I want for myself, and that's really great. And now I'm aware of what I don't have and how <laughs> of many all places the gaping hole of nothingness. Of, yes, <laughs> yeah, and all the yeah. places that I don't have it. Yeah. And I like as as a creator yourself. How do you find you, you know, I don't know, kind of remedy that in your own life or insist upon that in your own life? Just this idea of like, no, I, I know that my what my bar is for what I need for me. But yeah. this industry is so difficult in what, like like you said, in development on a lot of things. And then they fall away for whatever reason that has yeah. nothing to do with anything personal. But it's just like, you know, there's a reason why people get good news. And they're like, well, I have some news, but I can't talk about it for two years. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> how do you care for that knowledge in yourself that you want to demand more while knowing you also want to get your stuff made yeah and i think that like i i started writing early on mm -hmm. and i always wrote as a sort of antidote to the traditional development process mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. i you know for year you know years and years i've always been sort of writing something that sits squarely within my little queer horror sweet spot yeah that fulfilled the need for me to like tell those stories uh -huh. even if they didn't end up actually getting made and going to the screen like i i was creating them and i have a stockpile of them now for you know when people are ready for them but like <laughs> i i never i never sort of felt like it would be uh maybe productive or or successful to try to strong arm that stuff into the sort of traditional development process like i read the ruins script and fell in love with it and like there was you know nothing queer about it but yeah. like i loved the story and i loved the characters and you know same thing with the passenger like i i kind of 
I read the script and fell in love with it. And it didn't matter that it wasn't like a queer story yeah. uh, to me. And because I've kind of have this other little parallel path of my other dark little stories <laughs> that are, that, that, you know, that are unfolding, you know, all, at all times. So mm-hmm. like, it was very much like, okay, I'm going to just be here alone doing this on my own and I'll dip in and out of it. And I'll kind of, you know, much like fashion to film, like yeah. I'm sort of going from, little micro indie queer horror to sort of stories that might have a bit of a wider, uh, broader, uh, I don't want to say appeal because I don't think that there's any, anything less broadly appealing about mm-hmm. the smaller stories, but just, you know, less specific maybe. Yeah. In terms yeah, yeah, of yeah. Who they're, who they're, who they're talking about. With your stockpile of, you know, characters sort of waiting in the wings for when the world can know them or when there's a landscape for when they, what are, What's something, what is something weird you are hoping to be able to usher into the light? Like, you know, not giving away yeah. your stories, of course, but like your own little weirdnesses and your little darknesses. What yeah. is, what are we missing, Carter, that you're like, one day, it's, there's, I just want to be, I want this kind of freak show to there be. Was a, there was a script that I wrote that I adapted from a book. It was way back, right was before the ruins, the movie that I couldn't get made before I tried to do the ruins mm-hmm. and it was about a, a expat photographer living in Iceland who finds an injured abandoned baby troll <laughs> behind the trash cans in his, yes. in his uh, apartment complex. And a troll is like sort of a, a feline primate, like animal, not okay, a little yeah. man, or, but it's like an animal uh-huh. and it's injured and it's a baby and he takes it in and nurses it back to health <laughs> and develops an increasingly twisted, uh, relationship with wow. it. Wow. Yeah. And like, you know, this was back in the day when like, you know, there was like 475 VFX shots in it. And, you know, <laughs> it, it was definitely like a bigger scope that would be necessary to make that film than what uh, anyone would be willing to to spend on it. So there's a really great, there's a book, the book is called Troll and it's by a Finnish author called uh, Johanna Sinasalo. And it's an incredible book. I that uh I I really enjoy um folklore horror of Scandinavia and oh, you will listen love this then listen love if we have got more if we've got more that we can have uh in the vein of troll hunter like then I'm absolutely like but that is gayer and like more horror horror with like a touch of bestiality I mean <laughs> okay did you oh I'm I'm losing the title of it right now. It's a Brazilian movie from a couple of years ago about like good manners. Good manners. This yeah. like yes, this was calling good manners to mind as soon yep. as you were like, and he takes it in, and then like a strange relationship. So yes, let's yeah. get this on a like get this so we can double bill it with good manners. When you saw that yes. movie, were you like this person and me? We are aligned. Yeah, it was. It was a little bit. It was yeah. It was. It was definitely like oh, I like what the, what they're up to for sure. Yeah. <laughs> My my movie, my deep, my troll baby is a little yeah. closer to existing, knowing that good manners is out in the yes. world. Yeah. Well, I. What was it like bringing Mark Patton into a film of your own? Yeah. It, like these for this formative moment, fourteen years old. Then you have you you reach out to Mark about a character in Swallowed, and he and I remember I was working on the docu series Queer for Fear at the uh-huh. time, and I think Mark might have been back and forth from shooting Swallowed at the time. Because I remember yeah. he was talking about, like, he was shooting this thing he was really excited about, and it was sounded like it was in the middle of nowhere, really small oh, yeah. production. Yes, yep, okay. that was us. <laughs> all right, yeah. all right. Yeah, 
Um, I, you know, I wrote it with him in mind. I'd seen Scream Queen and he sort of hadn't left my mind after mm-hmm. seeing that. Um, and so I wrote that character a hundred percent, you know, with him mm-hmm. at the heart of it. Not, I didn't have any relationship with him. I'd never met him and, you know, but I sent him a message on Instagram. Like I sent him a DM mm-hmm. and was like, I wrote a script and there's a part for you. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of like, Oh yeah, thank you. Great. And I right. was like, no, no, no. That, like it's real. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to make this movie and I want you to be in it. And yeah. You're not playing a version of Jesse Walsh either. This isn't like a cameo thing. Like, yeah, this is well, a part he, for you. And he tells a funny story because he's like, when I got the script, like I got, you know, I got 30 pages in and I was like, but I'm too old to play, you know, this, uh, you know, this lead boy. And then, uh-huh. you know, of course he gets to the point when his character arrives and he's like, oh, <laughs> I get it. I'm going to be this guy. And I think that it was really frightening for him in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Where are you, you stupid cocksucker? You can't go anywhere. spending a lot of time with him talking about it afterwards, you know, he said that it was the first time that he had ever stepped on a set and not felt like he had to hide an aspect of who he was. And he wasn't worried about the light and he wasn't worried about what other people were saying about him behind his back. And he Mm -hmm. wasn't worried about all of that stuff that had been such heavy baggage for so long. Yeah, And like to be able to be the storyteller and filmmaker that like, made that possible for him just like fills me with joy (laughs) well and it's it's so chronicled what that experience of freddy's revenge yeah did to him and the handling the the filmmaker's handling of it afterwards and how he felt so abandoned by them like yeah that is i feel like that's you know that like an aspect of this these conversations too that i love so much is like it's that cyclical the relationship between consuming art as people who will go on to create it and then the things that you've watched informing the way that you make your own art in the future and like you were able to bring mark Patton into your future work making something that felt very true to you like you said just making a movie in the woods with your friends and giving him something that could feel true to him and mark Patton was there he was one of the friends what an amazing (laughs) art yeah to your own experience of being able to give the recognition to Mark Patton, like a piece of that, it seems like that he, you felt in watching him from a movie from 1984. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was, and it was, I think it was fun for him too, to like play a character, you know, to, to, to play a character that was a different type of character, like to play someone that was seedy and Mm -hmm. twisted and like, you know, he's not without his like, you know, he obviously has been through stuff and he's, he's, you know, he's not like a, hopefully like a one note bad guy, but mm-hmm. like, you know, he is, it was definitely a character that, especially a, a queer character that you don't often yeah see, you know? And, and I think that that was, it was interesting for me writing it, but I think it was also kind of exciting for him t- uh, playing it. Why are you doing this? Because Randy, I have been watching you. You are 20 years old, and you are already more pathetic than every person in this godforsaken town, and that bugs me. But there's something about you. There's something fixable. I mean, hell, when you were standing there, watching me, waiting for me to kill you. That was the only thing I believed. I, I appreciate, like, 
the the localization of your work onto like the relationships of men like and 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 through midnight's kiss we have a group of gay men going off to a palm springs weekend and then in swallowed we have like one man who's like about to go off and pursue a career in porn in la and like the 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 guy the friend who's like been lusting after him for so long and this tale of unrequited love and then in this we have these two ostensibly you know as far as we know straight men but you know the the definitions of desire and intimacy being like flexible and and seeing these two connect to each other and as as a girl's girl whose favorite movies are all about like women getting theirs i it is a treat it is a pleasure to watch these movies that challenge the like conventional relationships of male intimacy that we see on screen and i feel like show us a broader variety than is typical in what we're used to in in your films yeah well and that's and like that's what i love so much about the passenger was that like this opportunity to you know create paint this picture of this this like new relationship i mean they barely know each other and they're spending the day together and like sure one of them is basically a hostage but like you know they develop this like tenderness and Mm -hmm. this intimacy and this like sort of you know this fondness for each other that that you know really should not be flowering (laughs) in in the way that it does um you know especially since they're both you know basically probably straight guys and like so to me like that was a really fun thing to to dig into and you know to find ways to to try to explore it and push it further how much longer do you think he's going to keep us out here it could be all night the guy gets his rocks off like this hangs around queer s&m joints downtown he likes pretty boys like you get out of here What about you and that rich baby been cruising to school with every day? What about her? Are you mounting her nightly or what? Look, Grady, you got some problem with me. No, bro. Just killing time. Okay, dirt balls, hit the shower. Well, that, listen, upon my rewatches, again, of Freddy's Revenge, A Nightmare 2, I I just, I like Grady and Jesse more yeah. and more. And, like, the, the arc we get in that, talk about, like, yeah. examining male relationships to, like, fighting, like, pantsing a kid and fighting on a baseball field at school to, like... Jesse storming into Grady's room and being like, I need to sleep with you because I'm scared. It's like, yeah. this is, this is the friendship but even like, I want. After the pantsing on the field, like, but when they're doing the push-ups, like, you know, it, the Grady is like, you know, kind of, he's like, I'm not, I was just messing with you. Like he's yeah. immediately like friendly and like, yeah. you know, and like, I think that's also part of probably what my, I loved about that film is like, I wanted Grady to be, you know, the bull, <laughs> the bully that like, turned on a dime and said oh actually come over to my house we, you know yeah. we can <laughs> we can hang out in my bedroom <laughs> <laughs> and the tenderness that he shows jesse like when yeah. like you know he's he's like you know jesse's yelling he's like you don't believe me and grady's like i do believe you and then he kind of finally relents and it's like okay like he's like yeah. go make out with that girl who likes you and he's like i don't wanna and he yeah. just kind of looks at him tenderly <laughs> he's an underrated bully figure in cinema yes. grady yes one of the hottest <laughs> one of the hottest i will leave it on grady being one of the hottest i will come to the end of our time carter thank you so much for taking your time and sharing it with us it's been such a treat to get to talk to you about one of my favorite horror movies of the 2000s and to talk about one of my favorite actors of the 21st century and just like the coalescing of your two lives into the work you make. And it's just been a delight to talk to you. 
Uh, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. Thank you again to Carter Smith. The Passenger is out on digital and on demand tomorrow. So look for that on the service of your choice. It will be on MGM Plus later this year. And the Kyle Gallner Nation stays well fed as always. We are a very lucky bunch. And now my one quick thing before I go. Listen, guys, I don't have any movie news today. I just have to tell you that I am going to see Taylor Swift starting Friday for back-to-back engagements here in Los Angeles. The Eras Tour is coming to town, and she's got her friends Heim with her, which means I'm going to hear Nobody No Crime live with the whole ensemble. Listen, when the Reputation Tour happened, that was also on the run part two, and I had always wanted to see Taylor in Nashville, so I got tickets to her show there, at uh, Nissan Stadium, where the Titans play. And it just so happened that that weekend, uh, the On The Run 2 tour was coming through Nashville. So I uh, scooped up last-minute tickets with a friend for $50 each. And within a span of two days, I saw Beyonce and Taylor Swift. And a friend of mine was like, Jordan, this is your Coachella. And I was like, you're absolutely right it is. This is a woman who has been at the top of her game and the game for more than a decade now. Um, people think Reputation got like was was like her dip, but it actually wasn't. It's like a very well reviewed album, and people just remember the like the fervor around um, the lead single uh, and her saying the old Taylor can't come to the phone right now. She's because she's dead. Uh, but actually, that album was really awesome. And then Lover is a goddamn delight. And then all of the sad girls out there and all the, the mopey people finally started taking her more seriously when she put out Folklore and Evermore. And then she brought in more fans. Uh, I'm a proud Swifty. I'm a proud Swifty. There are a lot of Swifties out there who make us look bad. Who are making the fandom look like a bunch of dicks. Uh, but you know what? It's a big tent, I say. I say you're all welcome. I say there's an, a Taylor era for everyone. Uh, and I cannot wait to go... Well, this will be my fourth Taylor, I think. I started in the Red Tour. I went and saw it. And upon exiting the show, I started texting a friend of mine. And simultaneously, his best friend was texting him as well as she was leaving Burning Man. And he told me that except for the places we were leaving, like, you could swap out everything that we were saying as, like, the same thing. Like, her her process of, like, emotionally exiting Burning Man was the same as mine emotionally exiting a Taylor Swift show. So uh, he said at the time that Taylor Swift is my Burning Man. And I, I think that that is the core truth of it. This is, I'm going to my Burning Man, guys. And that's two nights at the Eras Tour. Um, I look forward to not being a changed person when I come out the other side because I've been right all along in my love for Taylor. And I have uh, been in full full bloom and full brightness as a Swifty for many years now. So I look forward to being affirmed in my love and passion as a Swifty. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm celebrating me and my tickets to the show, my multiple tickets to the multiple shows uh, coming up this weekend. So I'll see you guys on the other side of Taylor. And that, that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Crew on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun.
Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows, supported directly by you.